Good afternoon. I am Shirley Tillman, the president of Princeton University, and on behalf of the university, I am honored to welcome to campus Hamid Karzai, president of the transitional Islamic State of Afghanistan. I have asked Anne-Marie Slaughter, the dean of Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs, to introduce President Karzai. But before we begin, I would like to introduce briefly the members of the university community who are with us on the platform. First, let me introduce two Princeton students, Asharul Amin and Anna Barfield. Asharul came to Princeton from Bangladesh and Anna from Serbia and Montenegro. Both students worked for President Karzai this summer, and both are members of an international community service organization called SPARKS, which stands for Students Providing Aid, Relief, and Kind Services. SPARKS is creating a merit-based coeducational school of excellence in Kabul, Afghanistan. The interest of these students in Afghanistan and its future developed in part out of courses they took with Professor Wolfgang Dansbeckruber, who was the director of Princeton's Liechtenstein Institute on Self-Determination and on the faculty of the Woodrow Wilson School. We are honored to have with us the United States Ambassador to Afghanistan, Robert Finn. Ambassador Finn, who received his doctorate from Princeton in Near Eastern Studies in 1978, is the university's Ertgan Visiting Professor of Turkish Studies. Anne-Marie Slaughter, Dean of the Woodrow Wilson School and Professor of Politics and International Affairs, will now introduce President Karzai. Dean Slaughter. Thank you. Mr. President, Your Excellencies, students, faculty, and friends, on behalf of the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Princeton. As a school of public and international affairs, the Woodrow Wilson School is a crossroads of the university that seeks to unite scholarship and policy. We seek to draw the university's attention to issues of public policy and to inform the policy-making process with academic scholarship. One of the most important issues in international affairs today is the prevention of terrorism and the reconstruction of stable, secure states, possibly the most important place where these questions are being addressed is Afghanistan. The successful reconstruction of Afghanistan and the prevention of terrorism there is essential to the security of the Afghan people and to each of us here today. There can be no more appropriate and insightful guest to discuss these topics than Hamid Karzai, President of the Transitional State, Transitional Islamic State of Afghanistan. President Karzai and his family have long been important leaders of the Afghan people, and particularly the Polpalzai tribe near Kandahar. Having been educated at the Himachal Pradesh University in India, President Karzai returned to Afghanistan during the Soviet occupation of the 1980s. He served as an advisor, diplomat, and deputy foreign minister for the Mahajadeen resistance. After the rise of the Taliban in 1996, President Karzai refused the post of ambassador to the United Nations and instead organized an anti-Taliban resistance from a base in Pakistan. President Karzai became the most visible leader of the Pashtun people after his father's assassination in 1999 when he defied Taliban rule by leading a funeral pr procession to Kandahar to bury his father. President Karzai returned to Afghanistan in October 2001 to lead the Afghan resistance. 
Initially chosen to head an interim administration in Afghanistan, he was elected to the presidency by the Afghan lawyer Jirga in June 2002. President Bush said on Monday at the United Nations that President Karzai now represents a free people who are building a decent and just society. They are building a nation fully joined in the war against terror. He applauded President Karzai's presence at the United Nations. But we hope, President Karzai, that your presence in New York and today at Princeton reminds the American people and the world not only of the progress you have made, but also of the need to renew and sustain our commitment to the reconstruction of Afghanistan. Above all, as the Sparks students demonstrate, this must become not just the policy decision of one administration, but part of the global outlook of a new generation. It is my distinct privilege to present His Excellency Hamid Karzai, President of the Transitional Islamic State of Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I spent three days in New York, most of the time in the UN headquarters there, and having seen Princeton and the university here and the campus here, I wish the UN headquarters were built somewhere around Princeton. <laughs> it's a great campus. I have studied in a university which was the university still is, I studied there, uh, situated in a very beautiful natural environment of hills and mountains and pine trees and snow and sunshine and walking up and down. But Princeton is an instant fall in love situation. And I just told the president of the university, President Tillman and Dean Slaughter, and Ambassador Finn, that now I'm in a hurry to leave the presidency like Ambassador Finn was to come back and be in Princeton. Thank you very much, students, and the faculty for giving me this honor to be here. We had some young students from America, from Princeton, helping us in Afghanistan. I met them there at the compounds of the presidential office. And I was thinking to myself that, well, these young people must be enjoying themselves in the surroundings of a hundred and some years old compound. I am ashamed of that, of that thought now that I'm in Princeton. They have a much better place here. Coming here, Having consulted my colleagues, having gone through in our country in the past 30 years the disasters there and the war against terrorism and the success against it in Afghanistan, I had a long uh, story here to tell you. But on the way, I felt that I should confine myself to a subject that is important for all of us here in this world, the mankind, civilizations. And something that became to be known probably from Princeton as the clash of civilizations. 
I'm not going to dispute that theory. I'm no academic. But ladies and gentlemen, of our experience in Afghanistan in the past two years, I came face to face in very close personal contact with the cooperation of civilizations. And before that as well, when we were fighting or organizing to oust the Taliban and the extremism and the terrorism associated with it, the elderly Afghans, the heads of tribes, the clergy, the intellectuals, that we would contact for an active resistance against the Taliban would ask us, what do you have from the rest of the world? Do you have U.S. help? Do you have the Europeans helping you? Do you have others helping you? Do you have others helping you? And we would say yes or no. And our yes or no would determine whether we could work or whether we would not work. In my zeal, in my enthusiasm, I'm a very idealistic person. A lot of people don't like that. And idealism brings emotions in you. And I like emotional people. I don't like cool people. I'm not a calculating man. I'm spontaneous. That drives you, that pushes you to action. And in my idealism, I would always curse those who told me that if you do not have help from the rest of the world, especially America and Europe, you will not succeed. It would really hurt my pride and my patriotism to be unable to get rid of evil in my country unless I had help from the big sources. But when I went into Afghanistan in October of 2001, and when I went to the inner, inner part of the country and contacted the countryside, the clergy in the countryside, the, uh, the, the influential elements in the countryside, and the first meeting that I had with them was in a, in a very beautiful environment, but in a very hidden environment, the four or five tribal chiefs and clergy, the mullahs that we call them in our country, they came to see me jumping over walls, not from the door, in order not to be detected by the Taliban or their spies. And when we sat for the closed-door meeting between us, they knew my story. I was in touch with them for many years before that. And they were shocked to see me. They said, what the hell are you doing here? Aren't you afraid? I said, yeah, sure, I am afraid, but let's, let's do it together. The first question that one of the clergy there, who's a good friend of mine for many, many years, he was with me about two months ago too. The first question that this clergy asked me was, Hamid, do you have the United States with you? Do you have support from the U.S.? Do you have support from Europe? And I said, it looks like I have it. But he was not convinced. He said, how? He wanted to know the final details of the U.S. help that we would get. Only then he said we could mobilize to work against the Taliban and extremism. 
Only then he said we will be able to free ourselves. Only then he said we will be able to free this country of the menace of terrorism. Days went by. We continued the struggle. The U.S. came and helped us. Others came and helped us. And the Taliban were about to be defeated. Just about the day that I was supposed to receive a Taliban delegation for the surrender of power to me, just exactly God keeps things for you that you never know. Just the same day also, I was announced in the Bonn Conference as, as the chairman, as, the, as they called it, of the interim government. And ladies and gentlemen, just on the same day as well, we received an accidental U.S. bomb on our headquarters. And all three events within two hours from 9 in the morning till 11. The important point here is that in that bombing, we lost 22 people and lots of wounded. And after the wounded and everybody were cleared, they were flown or they were taken to hospitals for treatment. One of the villagers, an elderly man from the village, came to me. I did not know him. I had never, never seen him before. He looked worried. He came to me and said, Mr. Karzai, wouldn't you like to give and reassure the Americans that have come here last night that it doesn't matter. In a struggle like this, people get hurt. And that this bomb was accidental. That they should not lose heart and not think that now we won't like them. No, we would continue to like them. This was an accident and we have to do it together. That for me immediately was the cooperation of civilizations. A bomb hits you, you die, you get wounded, your village is destroyed. And yet for a bigger ideal, the ideal of man, I'm sorry, mankind, to have peace, to have security, and to share that together prompted a villager in Afghanistan to come and urge me to go and reassure the U.S. forces there who were about 10 or 15 that cooperation should continue, that they, that they should not feel disheartened. And probably Ambassador Fenn is a witness to that as well. As we continued from the first day of the inauguration of the interim administration till today, the Afghan people keep coming to us, to the capital, keep talking to us. I visit them from time to time. The theme has not changed. The demand has not changed. The concept of cooperation has not changed. They have never come to ask us for food. They have never come to ask us for shelter. But they have come to ask us for continued cooperation from the rest of the world. And from the rest of the world mainly is America and Europe and the UN. From a completely different people in terms of religion, in terms of way of dressing, in terms of values, in terms of traditions, in terms of, um, of, of, of all other habits of life that this cooperation is welcome, that this cooperation is demanded. In the beginning, as we established the interim government, and when the ISAF, which is the International Security Assistance Force, came to Kabul, comprised of various nationalities, mostly from Europe, Germans, Dutch, French, English, Turkish, The common man in the street in Kabul on seeing an Afghan soldier 
would be a bit frightened, a bit careful, would try to hide himself or try to avoid that soldier. But on seeing the soldier from Isaf, a man from Denmark or Norway or Germany, he would ease up, get relaxed, receive him, smile. For me, that was a surety. The people in the world are threatened by the same thing. And if you go and help, they receive that help. That mankind in times of crises, wherever they come from, for a common objective, join hands. Like the people of Afghanistan, join hands with the rest of the world to fight and defeat terrorism, like they still continue to do. So, the cooperation of civilization. Let us extend that to religion. Let us speak about it from a religious point of view. We in Afghanistan are Muslims. Very deeply believing Muslims. Profoundly deeply believing Muslims. And the people that came to help us mostly were Christians. And that cooperation was received, was welcomed. No questions were asked about religion. Our people or others never said that, no, we want a man from our own religion to come and help us. They said, no, we want the world to come and help us. There was no clash of religions. And the one that we went after, that we defeated, came to us in the name of our own religion, but killed us, destroyed our villages, destroyed our schools, closed our schools, and ruined the Afghan society. This here I'm reminded of a marvelous poem a marvelous poem, a Persian poem, probably by Saadi, which is one of the greatest poets of the, of the Persian language. I will say it in Persian so that you get the tone of it as to what, what this man was talking about. Many, many centuries ago. And then I will translate it into English. It's also written in the United Nations. The poem says... Bani Adam Azai Yakti Garand Kedar Afarinish Siak Jauharand Chozwe Badard Awarat Rosagar Tigar Rosuhara Namanat Karar. It says Mankind is a member of each other. Who are born of the same element? If one member of that mankind gets in pain, the other members will not be immune from that pain. So the value system, so the greater good of humanity, which is the security, the safety, a peaceful life, a life of work. Whoever threatens that, whether somebody in Europe, somebody in East Asia, in the Middle East, in Africa, and if that threat is a common threat to the humanity, to mankind, mankind joins hands. And I was happy to see that in, in Afghanistan. And I'm sure Mankind will continue to 
uphold that value. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, we in Afghanistan are very, very grateful to the help that we have received from the United States, from Europe, from Japan, and from the rest of the world. Our reconstruction of the physical infrastructure, our reconstruction of the institutions is done with the billions of dollars that are given by people as far away from us as you can imagine here in Princeton. The Afghan highways, the Afghan schools, the Afghan administration, the Afghan health service, which was ruined totally to ground, is being restored with assistance given by people that are mostly not from the same religion as we are, that are mostly not from the same cultural value that we are, that don't dress like I dress, they dress like you. So again, the cooperation of civilizations. Yes, there are threats to our common heritage of mankind, to civilization. Threats come from extremism. And they are everywhere. They are in all the religions. Some people in the world, especially in the Western world, associate Islam with terrorism. It is absolutely wrong. I'm not going to repeat myself. And go back to the beginning of what I said. Those in Afghanistan that helped me, that helped themselves, that received the international community, the Americans, the Europeans, were very deeply believing Muslims. And they went after those who came using religion, our religion, to justify murder and killing and destruction, and we joined hands and drove them away. What they did was violence. Violence against our religion. Violence against yours here. Violence against our culture. Violence against yours here. They destroyed the Buddhas in Afghanistan. 1,500 years of our heritage. And when Islam came to Afghanistan 1,400 years ago, it stayed in Afghanistan 1,400 years and the Buddhas were not destroyed, but the Buddhas were kept by the Muslims. Yet these people, the terrorists, they came and destroyed it. Exactly in the same manner as they destroyed your Twin Towers. Once again, a proof that these are the common enemy of mankind. They don't relate to any culture, to any value system, to any religion. Islam teaches compassion, tolerance, the good of humanity. And more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, Islam teaches the rule of law. Islam has a tremendous dislike for anarchy. One of the most important duties of a government in Islam is to provide order and social justice. There's a saying of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that if you go to a place where you do not find order or the existence of rule of law, leave it. You will not be protected there. You will get hurt there. So what happened to the Twin Towers, to America, what happened in Afghanistan, America is a Christian country, mainly, 
Afghanistan is a Muslim country, almost entirely. Both suffered from the same elements, from the same hand. The hand that is the enemy of all and the friend of none. So, the cooperation of civilizations. And we must all join hands together for the future of us to maintain that. I was yesterday at Columbia University. I was speaking to the students there on a different topic, not on a specific subject. I was just talking. And on talking with regard to Afghanistan, I had in my notes a question on drugs, the production of drugs, the trafficking of drugs, narcotics. And I think I should address the younger people here. I did that yesterday there too. I had heard of narcotics, of drugs, of the substance that they produce from it, heroin and all other names that they have. But I did not know what it was. I did not know how it would affect someone, how people use it, how they, how they change or how they don't change. Till I was in the mountains one day, hiding and running away from the Taliban, and there were about 50 people with me. One of them, one of the younger people there, 19 or 20, looked different. He was always trembling shaking, nervous, feeble. And I said, what's wrong with this man? Does he have malaria? Does he have something else? What's wrong with him? And somebody said, he's a drug addict. And I, I was so struck with, with pain and sorrow to see this man. The more we stayed, his pain increased because he could not have drugs to use. Became paralyzed. The young people stay away from it. It's a menace that hurts individuals, families, societies. It promotes crime. And the money that drug dealers get from selling it to societies and to younger people is the money that goes to terrorism, is the money that destroyed your Twin Towers, is the money that destroyed 3,000 or more lives in your country is the money that destroyed our country as well and killed our people for so many, 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 many years. Thank you very much. Thank you, President Karzai, for giving us. Yes. Ah, President Karzai has offered to answer a few questions. From students only, not these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a question from a student? Ah, there is a, are you a student? <laughs> Let's begin with a student. Yes, here, Rishi.
In the way of making the country? Okay. You may want to repeat the question. Yeah. Uh, the question was from our friend there, that when I return to Afghanistan, what will be the agenda for work in the country? We have to rebuild our life from scratch. We have built some part of it. A lot remains to be done. And I will dwell very, very quickly on some of the things that we have done. I spoke about the highways, about the roads, about the administration. We also have a new currency now that trades very well. That was horrible before. There were so many currencies. We have one now. We had no schools, no children going to school two years ago. Last year, we had 3 million children going to school. This year, we have 4.2 million children going to school. Our universities are open, though not of the standard that one would want, but still, they are open. Our agenda is to have a constitution and elections. Our agenda is to take the country forward into a fully democratic state. We have the freedom of the press. Should I say fortunately or otherwise? But we have it. Uh, we have uh, uh, television, communications coming. We have commerce developing. Uh, that's the agenda. The agenda is to make life good for us. Uh, I want young Afghans to have a life like the kids in America have. I want grown-up Afghans to have good roads and good cars. And I want our young executives who just finished college or school to be able to afford a nice Honda or something. That's the agenda. Yes, there's a question. Yes. It's a very good question. We are a, we are a very traditional society. And in our tradition, consultation is, if, has a very fundamental place. Historically, Afghanistan has an institution that is called the Loya Jirga. If you translate it into English, it means the Grand Council, or Jirga, which means council. Counseling, consultation on issues, is very much there in the, in the inner, inner essence of the, of the Afghan culture and, and, and social and political life, especially in the villages. The more you go to the countryside, the more you find the culture of assembly and of consultation and of decision by that uh, standard. Uh, the reason, actually it's a very good question, the reason that extremism with all the force and money that it had from the rest of the world to be pushed into Afghanistan. I'm not going to go to that subject as to how it was brought to Afghanistan. The reason that it failed in our society, the reason that it did not have roots, the reason that only in a month's time when the U.S. came, the extremists and terrorists would defeat and run away, is because the Afghan society does not have a place for that sort of a um, tendency. It's essentially an egalitarian uh, society. Uh, egalitarian, I don't mean a welfare state. I mean uh, egalitarian uh, in the sense that uh, in, in a very, um, uh, in a very uh, simplistic way I'm talking here, an egalitarian society where people tend to keep to their ideals, where people are very jealous of their property of their individualism and of their right to have a household and privacy and not to be interfered with. And jealously guard uh, uh, when decisions are made that they should be part of it. Uh, sometimes it's a problem, but that's how we, what we have there. So that's a plus in our, in our society, and that's what kept us against extremism. And this is deeply rooted in, in the Afghan history. Uh, that's why.
tourism was gone. Yes, there's a question in the balcony. Yes, you. Yeah. Lady or gentleman? I can hear you. How much progress we have made, how much remains, and how we are threatened by terrorism? Yes. Violence, yes. Well, we have formidable challenges, ma'am. Uh, the formidable challenges are from two main sources of trouble. One source of trouble is the presence still of armed gangs in Afghanistan of people who have guns and some resources, and of the existence of the uh, drug mafia in the country that can support them, that can organize them, that go and at times make life very difficult for people, for families, for, for, for women, for children, for, 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 for anybody. Uh, the situation has improved a lot with regard to that. But a lot more has to be done. And in order to be able to completely get rid of that internal difficulty of ours with regard to, to gun running and, and, and something that we call warlordism uh, is to have uh, developed institutions of the police and the army and the law enforcing agencies uh, with it. Uh, till then, we will heavily depend on the help that we are receiving from the International Assistance Security Force and from the Coalition Force and from something else which is called the PRTs, the Provincial Reconstruction Teams, an idea that was begun by the U.S. forces there that now is also shared by New Zealand, by Germany, by uh, the United Kingdom, and uh, I hope uh, in the near future by, by other countries too. That is one of the problems, internal sources of instability stemming from um, armed gangs to drugs. The other source of trouble, and a serious one, uh, that really worries me is the arrival of extremism and violent elements from outside of the Afghan borders. Uh, those are the forces that, 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 are, that are ideologically um, inclined that come to hurt us, the system that we are building, the kind of society we are building. They are, they are uh, intent upon... Uh, derailing uh, peace building uh, and institution building in Afghanistan against whom we have the operations still continuing which we call the continuation of the struggle against terrorism. These are the two main uh, troubles that we have in addition to millions of other troubles that we have uh, which is poverty, lack of uh, um, well, everything. One more is good, yeah? One more question. There's someone there. Yes. Yes. Islam is very compatible with democracy. In the uh, beginning of Islam, uh, when we had the uh, four Khalifs of Islam, all the four were elected to government. Uh, they would come by uh, a process of uh, election by the people. Uh, Islam speaks for a just society. And how would you define a just society? Would you call a dictatorial system a just society? Would you call a totalitarian society a just society? A just society is where justice is done. And how can you have justice if you don't have people voting and choosing their governments? Islam is totally compatible with democracy. Now, a lot of people have a misjudgment. I, 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 I hope I'm wrong. I think so. Between values and democracy... There is a value system that you have in America. But you also have a democracy in America. 
There is a value system that I have in Afghanistan, which may not be entirely like yours. But there is a way of uh, empowerment that I want to have in Afghanistan, which is democracy, to give the Afghan people the right to vote, self-determination, choose their governments, be free from oppression. Now, we may differ in the value system. Islam may tell me of a different value system. But this is not, it does not contradict the basics of man. I'm sorry, I mean mankind. Uh, I don't mean man, man, you know. Of mankind to be able to determine his or her future in terms of selection of government, rule, and all that. It's not at all incompatible. It's a big subject, though. We'll have to talk a lot about it. Thank you very much. Thank you, President Karzai, for sharing with us your vision of the cooperation of civilizations and the way in which mutual respect for different traditions, tolerance for different views, and respect for the rule of law play such an important part in what uh, I believe is a great vision of cooperation of civilizations. I would also like to say that uh, you have clearly today uh, demonstrated that you have the makings of a very fine teacher. <laughs> and when you have completed your task in Afghanistan, We have many more generations of students who could benefit from your wisdom. <laughs> I would now like to invite Asharul Amin to say a few words on behalf of the students of Princeton and to describe briefly the school that he and other Spark students have helped to develop in Kabul. Asharul. Thank you, President Tillman. Your Excellency, President Karzai, on behalf of all the students at Princeton University, let me second President Tillman's thanks and express what an honor it is for us as a university community to host this event. We are most grateful that you have made time to come here and share your insight about the reconstruction of Afghanistan. And we're touched by your kind words acknowledging the efforts of Sparks in Afghanistan. Sparks has spent the last year deeply involved in developing the Sparks Academy Kabul, to be known in Dari as Omidi Afghanistan or Hope of Afghanistan. What began as innocent musings with Ambassador Finn in July 2002 evolved into being a project that more than 20 Princeton students from 12 different countries worked on continuously during the past year. Thanks to the unanimous support from the United World Colleges, the tremendous backing from members of the university community, notably um, President Tillman, President Goheen, Vice President Dickerson, and Professor Danshwa Gruber, and the incredible generosity and enthusiasm of the Afghan government, this project is no longer a dream of a handful of students, but a reality in the making. On August 9, 2003, Sparks signed a binding memorandum of understanding with the Afghan government, which empowers Sparks to build and operate Afghanistan's first independent school. As a continuing gesture of his personal commitment to this project, we are humbled that His Excellency, President Karzai, accepted the invitation from Sparks to come to Princeton today. The academy will open its doors to 40 kindergartners in mid-November, 
which will be the first step in the establishment of a merit-based school of excellence for 1,500 students on a beautiful piece of land granted by the government of Afghanistan and the municipality of Kabul. By bringing Afghanistan's diverse demographic groups together, the school will also aim to foster an environment of pluralism and inter-ethnic understanding. We are excited and yet humbled by this opportunity to contribute in some small way to Afghanistan's reconstruction. Mr. President, we would like to convey to you our deep appreciation for all the support and encouragement your administration has shown to the Sparks Academy Kabul. Working together with you, we look forward to celebrating the day when the first Afghan Academy graduate receives the yes letter from Princeton. Thank you. Once again, President Karzai, I would like to express our appreciation for your visit to campus. Thank all of you for coming as well. I would ask that you remain seated until the platform party has left the stage. Thank you.